0: Turn with me then to 2 Peter, excuse me, 1 Peter chapter 2, 1 Peter chapter 2, we're going to read today the first 10 verses, will be our scripture lesson this morning. Pray that what is said will be of help to you, would be an honor to God, and for that to happen, we know that the Spirit of God needs to do the speaking. And if indeed, by the way, he does speak to you, I want to encourage you today not to turn your mind and heart away from his speaking to you. Remember who it is that's communicating to your heart. It's not going to be merely me. In fact, more importantly and far above me will be God who is speaking. So if something is said that stirs your heart, lost or saved alike, I would ask you to remain there in the presence of the Spirit of God as He would guide you and direct you and tell you what He wants to tell you today. So 1 Peter chapter 2, the first ten verses. Let's read it together. So put away all malice and all deceit, But for those who do not believe, that stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, mercy. We know those who've been coming to our services and looked at the first chapter of Peter, we understand who he's talking to, who he's writing to, we should say. Writing to people under significant persecution. People whose very lives were at risk merely because they identified with Jesus Christ, who a man in the eyes of the world had been crucified, not as a hero, not as a conqueror, certainly not as God. That's not how they saw this man on Calvary's cross. They saw him there as a criminal being put to death at the hands of the Romans because of an insurrection that many claimed he was trying to raise Even though Jesus himself had, from the beginning, said, my kingdom is not from this world. He had told people when, at one point, trying to be tripped up by those around him with a denarius and saying, whose is it? And he says, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And Jesus never, at any point, proclaimed or ever claimed at all in any way that he had come to this world to set up a kingdom here. He said his kingdom is was from another place but this man jesus was crucified and in the eyes of the common man on the street was a criminal and an outcast and people who followed him those in corinth by the way were called christians first and it was a slang it was a derogatory remark to be called a christian it was a label it was a black label was an identifier that one didn't want to have if you wanted to go anywhere in society or be anyone of importance. This Jesus had died on the cross, and according to the world, his followers had made up some incredible story that he had resurrected again. And there were all these people following Christ, and they were offensive to the world. They were offensive and a threat to governments. And these people that Peter is writing to, this dispersed group of people in present-day Turkey, he's encouraging them in the midst of their persecution to hold the course, to stay the course, no matter the difficulty that you find along the way. And he tells them here in these first 10 verses a few things that they ought to keep in mind as they travel through this life. And I want to share them with you here today, because I think like them it will help us to remember these things as we travel through the course of our lives. If you're a child of God, you have much to learn here. I was sitting this last week or even the week before trying to prepare this passage at the kitchen table with with pen in hand and just marveling at all the things that we could look at here and, and in some ways looking up at a mountain, at things that are so high and so beyond where I feel I am. And yet, there's a journey that we can begin to take every day. And we can find some things here that we ought to keep in mind as we travel through this life. First, what we are to do since life is so brief. Do you notice the word that began this? chapter was so and it refers obviously back to what he had been saying in chapter one and he had just finished talking about how that life was very precious and was very short and that all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass the grass withers and the flower falls the word of the lord remains forever so he told us that life here is just brief James says it was like a fog. It appears for a little while, and then the sun comes up and it vanishes. One day very soon... The sun, S-O-N, is going to descend again from heaven, and the fog of this life is going to burn away, and we're going to be staring clearly without any difficulty and seeing eternity set in front of us. And the fog of this life will in a moment be gone, and you will wonder what it was that you spent so many hours concerned about when eternity was beckoning you at all, all the while. And even through the fog of this life, if you look closely, you can see through it. enough to know that there's movement on the other side and there's something to be ready for. There's something to know that is more than these eyes can see and these ears can hear and even the senses of this body can understand. There's truth and there's a God who has created you and you know that, but the fog of this world clouds it from your view, keeps you from seeing it clearly and God wants us to look through the fog of this world. And See beyond it. And as we do so, what are we to do? What should we be thinking about and doing in this life since it is so short? One is to put away these things that he says to put away. Five specific things. We won't take time to look at each of them individually, though I encourage you to do that in your own study sometime. Look up these words and think about them and pray over them and see and be as the psalmist and say, God, is there any of this in me and in my heart? And if so, show it to me and then show me how I can remove it from my heart. All malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander. Remove them. And I want you to remember that Peter is writing to saved people. He's writing to people who already know the Lord, who have already put their lives on the line for being a child of God and standing with Christ rather than the world. And and Peter writes to them and says, Now, remove these things. This tells me that even after that we get saved, we will and can and do still struggle with these things, do we not? Do we not feel malice or ill will towards others at times? Do we not feel deceitful or desire to deceive in order to hide some failure in ourselves or some inconvenient thing that we don't want to address? Do we not at times struggle with hypocrisy? Do we not at times struggle with putting on a mask that we want the world to see? And we do that for so long that it's not us wearing a mask. It is the mask wearing us after a while. And we become what we are hypocritical of. Put away all envy. I don't think there'd be a person in the room today that would be honest if they said they don't struggle with envy at times. Envy of something that they would like to have or something they see others have that they want. Put it away, Peter says. Have nothing to do with it. Put away the slander. Speaking ill of people. And by the way, if you begin with malice, you're going to end And slander, if you entertain that long enough in your heart, it's going to come out. The words will be there and they'll be out in the open. And in a moment you'll realize it's no longer just malice in my heart. Now the whole world knows because I have spoken and and the covering is removed. I encourage you to hear what Peter says. Remove the malice. Something that must be done here. So put away. These things don't just automatically get removed from our heart. This sinful heart remains sinful. After we get saved, this human carnal heart continues to to tend in that direction. But there is something within us that we'll speak about in a moment that has been redeemed and saved and sealed and made holy and righteous. And these two natures are at war with each other. They're not in a little conflict. They don't run into a skirmish every now and then. If you think that you're in a little skirmish with your natural carnal mind and heart, you're missing the point. It's a war. That's how Peter talks about it. This is something that must be done even after salvation is the putting away of these things. These things, by the way, that would have perhaps if we were looking on, Might have been understandable. Now note, Peter says to put away all malice. All slander. Not 90% of it. Not 99% of it. All of it. But would you and I not look at these people as they were living their lives and somebody came and knocked on the door and said, oh, you're a Christian. Well, your taxes then are double. Would we not look at that individual who's just been taxed unfairly and say, you have a right to feel some malice in your heart toward that person? Can you imagine not feeling malice towards those who were even going to take your life? But I encourage you, read Fox's Book of Martyrs. Read Martyrs Mirror. Read the accounts of those who have given their life. And read, by the way, modern day accounts of people who have given their life. And there are many. Persecution that costs life is not something buried in history. It happens today. It doesn't happen here as often or as well known read books out of the fire from those, a book titled Out of the Fire of the Middle East people who cling to Christ and reject the, the, the religion of their upbringing. and They die and they pay the penalty for it. They lose everything. Wouldn't we look at them and say, you know what, I understand your malice and why you have ill will towards those persecutors. But Peter doesn't make an exception. He doesn't say Remove malice from all those who don't deserve your malice. He just says, set it aside. Put it away. So let me ask you today, and I have run these questions through my own heart, and I have work to do, know that we all do. What am I doing to put away these things? Or am I just expecting them to go away? Am I praying diligently? Asking God to give me strength and wisdom in the moments when these things begin to wrap around my heart, malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander, am I praying in those moments when when the tendrils of those sins first begin to latch onto my heart? Am I feeling that and sensitive to that enough to run immediately to God and say, God, help me? Remove this from me, God. Help me to put it away. Help me to do what you've told me to do through Peter. How he told those people 2,000 years ago and how he tells me today, right now, in 2020, to do the same thing. Don't remove most or some of this. Put it all away. Life, Life's too short, by the way. And I'm going to say this and I'll be done saying it. I am not the model for you to look at Christ is. So I say openly that it is not me that we compare to, but it is to Christ. But let me tell you this. Life is too short to have these things in your life. We just got through reading the first chapter of First Peter that we said a moment ago that all flesh is grass. It's just it's here and it's gone. Life's too short to live it with malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. Don't take these things in your heart with you to the grave. Put them away. Ask God to help you to put them away. Because if you have them, by the way, with you, not only will they go with you to your grave, they're going to prevent you from making the spiritual progress that Christ and God the Father wants you to make. These sins... These five things will be a roadblock in your way to being close to God and walking with Him every day. The malice we hold for that person, the deceit that we're we're continuing to go with the hypocrisy that that deceit then leads to the deceit and the hypocrisy that then leads to this envying lifestyle and the way of, of thinking in the heart and then slander against those whom we're envious of set them aside and once you do that you're not finished second verse like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk and we know he's referring to the word of god to the spirit of god to the things of god to the instruction of god to the people of god to those things that nourish us i do think primarily he is speaking of the word but these people didn't have the new testament when he wrote it they had the old testament and certainly he's encouraging them to keep that in their minds and hearts but i think there's more to it than that this pure spiritual milk that we grow by you know sometimes we do are successful we are successful at times of removing malice and envy and slander and hypocrisy and these things that that peter lists here and we, we do our best and we remove them. But all you've done is created a vacuum in your heart. But when, so when you've removed them, fill them, fill that void with the, with the spiritual milk of God, his word. Ridding ourselves of these sins makes room for the word of God in our hearts and the spirit of God to work. If we don't fill that void, though, with this pure spiritual milk, those sins are going to soon come right back and lodge again in your heart. This is two things that must be done. Life is brief, so put away all this malice and deceit. And then desire and long for the pure spiritual milk of the word. Do this in order to grow, that by it you may grow up into salvation desiring to grow is a good thing for a child of God it is a healthy thing have you ever met a healthy child who did not want to grow up they all do the irony is and we give it them a hard time we get old and we grow up and say it's not all what it's cracked up to be And maybe we're cynical in that. But the point is, every child has a heart to grow up. And the fun question, what do you want to be when you grow up? And they answer a policeman, a fireman, a surgeon, a doctor, a nurse, whatever that it it might be. I want to ask you today, spiritually, what do you want to be when you grow up? What do you want to be in five years? As you grow, as you as you take in this pure spiritual milk of the word, and then you advance from there, as Peter then later talks about and says, add to that these other things, faith and knowledge, temperance, hope, continue to become more and more of what Christ has called you to be. What do you want to be when you spiritually grow up? I hope that it's more and more advanced than where you are today, wherever your starting point might be. Now, verses four and five tells us what happens to us as we do these things, as we set aside these sins, as we add and desire the pure spiritual milk of of God. What happens to us as we do? Verse four, as you come to him, As you do this, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men in the sight of God, chosen and precious, speaking of Christ, as you come to him, Christ, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up. What happens to us as we begin to set these things aside and add these other things of God to our lives, we become a work in process, a work in progress a work that God is performing in our lives. We become uh, something that is living, and we became alive when God saved us. We're not dead stones that can't change, that can't become more of what what God wants maybe us to be in that analogy. They're not dead stones that never alter or adjust or change. They're living stones. We're living things. We grow. We become a work in progress. Note the present tense here. As you come to him, you are being built up. Are you discouraged as Satan likes to do? Are you discouraged because you're not who you want to be? Maybe you're not where you thought you'd be. Maybe things are not what you thought they would be. Are you discouraged that you're not where and how and who maybe you want to be? I want you to take heart. It's a work in progress. Until we come, we all come to the fullness of the knowledge of of God in Christ Jesus. Until that day when this sin is set aside forever and eternally. And this body pays the penalty of sin, which is death, according to Romans and many other places in Scripture. Until then, we have an opportunity to be built up to become more of what God wants us to be, I hope, I pray that that is an inward desire of your heart. And if there's not a longing to become more like Christ, not to be impressive to anyone, not to be something that you want to be, but because of your love for him, if you're not feeling that in your heart, I would tell you very plainly, that's where you need to begin with your prayers to God. God, help me to long to be what you've called me to be. If you don't have that, there's very little else that you're going to find of great use. And we're built up, we're told for a twofold purpose, to be a spiritual house. Built up to be a spiritual house. And secondly, to be a holy priesthood, a separate nation. We're not becoming a people who are impressive to the world. That's not why we do what we do. We do not become a child of God to please the world or anyone else. We become a child of God to please God. We do not serve God rightly in order to please someone else. We serve God to please God and no one else. In fact, there are so many times in life where you're going to find that in order to serve God, you're going to have to displease others. You're going to have to displease others that you love dearly. You're going to have to displease others who have control and and influence over your life. You're going to have to displease an employer. You're going to have to displease any number of people. But we are being built up. As a spiritual house. A holy priesthood. We're not here. For fleshly things. Much of our work then. By the way. Much of our work. Our labor. Our toil. Our battles. These things are going to go entirely unseen by the world. Because they're spiritual things. I am. I am so tired. I'm so sick of this this world that we live in today who has rejected entirely that there's truths beyond what can be measured by science. This is not how people used to think. I encourage you to read books by learned people. Scholars among our, our nation, the 1800s and 1900s, People who recognize and and acknowledge that there are truths that far exceed the mere things that we with science can measure and, and look at and observe and touch and change and manipulate. There's spiritual truth that stands firm, as firm as any other truth. And so much of our work and much of your work as a child of God, as you go through this life, it is going to be done unseen by the world. There are no Academy Awards for the Christian. Just a cross to carry. The good news is that cross leads to a crown. But the world's not going to see it. They're not going to understand it. We are a spiritual house We do not do what we do in order to build a worldly home or house that people can look at and see strength and ability and impressiveness. We are a spiritual house, a holy nation. Why? So that we can offer to God acceptable sacrifices. And what are those? They're not the blood of bulls and goats. God's not pleased with mere outward exercises of religion. You go back and read the the relatively uh, unread book of Amos, and I want you to read it and hear what he says when God looks at those people and says, "You continue your service to me on Saturday, which was their Sabbath. You do all the things that I told you in the law to do on Saturday, you do none of the things I told you to do Sunday through Friday, and your worship and your songs, and your sacrifices, God says, is an abomination in my sight. I can't stand it, God says. It stinks. I know the truth of it, God says. I can look through all of the hypocrisy, and all of the envy, and all of the jealousy, and all of the malice, and all of these things. And he says, my desire is that your heart would be after me, and it isn't. And so these spiritual sacrifices are hearts that are fully given to God. And I'm telling you, if your heart is fully given to God, then your life will be too. They're not two separate things. It's not two separate things. This idea of the of the holy and the secular, or the spiritual and the secular, the worldly and and the things of God, and we can kind of divide ourselves up into pieces. You're, you are one creation. So we are built up and are being built up. As we come to Christ, we become built up. And there's no other recipe for maturing in, in Christ and in the things of God than to come to Him daily, daily, daily. In the times, you know, Joseph interpreted Pharaoh's dream. Not only did he interpret the dream, and that's a miraculous gift of God, but it was also most rational and most wise, right? We're going to have seven good years, and then we're going to have seven bad years. We better prepare in the seven good years for the bad years. I'm telling you today, if you know the Lord and you're in relatively good times, You are as in need of him today as you ever have been because there will be a day in the future where you're going to need him. And you need to be with him today to help you become spiritually minded, to be ready to face the battles that are in front of you that you don't know anything about right now. And if you are in the midst of a terrible battle, know that God has prepared you and he's with you. He can and will deliver you but you must as well come to him. Verses six through eight, another thing we should keep in mind as we go through this life is to understand why the world is such a mess. We should understand, we should know why the world is such a mess. We, we look at our nation, we look at the headlines, we jump to the internet and we read news and if it's even called news today, and we wonder how is the world so messed up? Why is it so messed up we we should not live our lives in confusion about why the world is messed up we should know exactly and precisely why it is and it shouldn't surprise us when it acts the way it acts six through eight god says for it stands in scripture Or peter writes behold i that is god i am laying in zion a stone a cornerstone chosen and precious And whoever believes in him, so we know he's not talking about a stone literally. Whoever believes in him, we know he's talking about his son, who is Christ the Lord, Jesus of Nazareth, born into the world. His birth that we now celebrate in this time of year. God says, the Father, I am laying him as the chief cornerstone. Why does the world, why is it in such a mess? Why is it so unstable? Why is it so uncertain? Why are those who don't know God so unsteady, who don't have anything guiding them like a the North Star through their life, that they know where they're going? Why are they aimless and moving from one thing to another? Why again are they so unsettled? It's because they have rejected the chief cornerstone upon which all of life settles. And when you reject the chief cornerstone upon which everything in the entire universe rests, you clearly cannot be settled either. And the world is tossed and turned and afraid and frightened and misunderstanding what life is all about. And we, as God's people, should not go through this world wondering why that is. We should be able to tell them in love and in compassion, not from a place of religious superiority or haughtiness. We should beg them, you're uncertain, you're unsettled, you're afraid at every turn because you've rejected the chief cornerstone upon which everything rests. They say, well, I'm in good health and I take care of myself. One day that's going to fail you. You know this. I have my finances are in good shape. I have much in order to carry me through for the rest of my life and even my children and grandchildren's lives. And we can say to them, oh, you fool. This night your soul will be required of you. Whose things will those things be then? Why are people so unsettled? Why is the world so messed up? It's because they have rejected the chief cornerstone. There is ample evidence of the world's rejection of the chief cornerstone of Christ. It's everywhere you turn. And if 2020 has shown us anything, it is that the world does not know God, does not rest in his assurance, is not confident in him, as we turn to governments, and we turn to employers, and we turn to this, and we turn to that, trying to find something solid upon which to grab. And none of it is solid. Because none of those things are the chief cornerstone. You remove that thing, the building crumbles. No, note God said, I... I God says, me, myself, I am laying this foundation. this is not a work of man. This is not your idea or mine. This is God. Why does it work this way? Because God set it up this way. Young people and old people alike, when you remember when you were young, how many times did your parents say why when you asked, why are we doing it this way he said, because I said so. There's something to be learned from that. Hear me now. I beg you to hear me now when I say this. If you reject Christ, your life will never be settled. You will forever be drifting out of control. Isn't that ironic? Satan tells you, do you want to control your life? Then don't give it to God. You see the lie? He's telling you to reject the only chief cornerstone that there is upon which life can be controlled and settled and assured. You will do this, by the way, you'll be drifting and unsettled so long as you reject Christ, because those who reject him are destined to do it. They stumble Because they disobey the word. Who? Those who have rejected Christ as they were destined to do. This is not predestination. This is not saying these people had no choice. They stumble. Those who stumble because they disobey the word. Those who reject Christ stumble. So long as you reject Christ, you will continue to reject him. You will stumble in this world. So I ask you today, stop being offended at Christ and the gospel message and start asking for forgiveness for your offenses against him. Don't be offended because of the truth. That's irrational. It's lunacy. If we we find a person who says, I am assured that I can jump off the empire state building and i'll be just fine and they believe it we would call them crazy rightly so but how much less or how much more crazy is it to stand in the face of god who has said this is how i've set things up and for us to say now to be offended at what he's done us the mere clay and him the potter stop being offended at him start asking for forgiveness Because Christ came to be the chief cornerstone upon which everything rests. He died on the cross for your sins. He loves you. God the Father loves the world so much in this way. He loved it. He sent his only son. Abraham took Isaac, had him bound on the altar, ready to go. The knife raised and God stayed his hand. Two thousand years later, God's own son is on the cross. And the night before, his own son said, if there's any other way in his humanity and and, uh, that incarnation in in his humanity his son says if there's any other way let this cup of suffering pass from me but god the father does not stay his own hand he brings it down upon his own son and kills him on calvary's cross to pay the penalty of sin that was owed to you and me christ did that when he was born and we celebrate his birth he began a march to calvary's hill pay the sin debt of a world unable to pay it on its own that's why we celebrate that's why we sing that's why we tell the world don't reject this chief cornerstone he is not a, a God who is interested in your misery he is a God who is interested in your eternal blessedness and contentment and happiness and rejoicing don't Turn him away. Now finally, verses 9 and 10, we we ought not to forget who, what, and whose we are. As we go through this life, as we journey through this world, there's some things we should set aside, and that's going to be a lifelong effort. Set those five sins aside. Be thoughtful, intentional, prayerful, earnest. And when we're not, let's admit it. And then let's ask God to to help us as we set them aside to desire the pure, sincere milk of the word that we might grow. That we then might understand the world in which we're living and why they're so mixed up and not blame them and not be offended by them but to look at them with compassion and say i know you're just doing the best you can because you're not settled upon the cornerstone of christ but i'm telling you today and i'm here to share with you today you can you can repent of your sin and believe in christ and place your trust in him and he'll save you and that chief cornerstone will never be taken from you and then as we continue on we ought never to forget who, what, and whose we are you but you He's talked about the unbeliever bright briefly and momentarily, but you he comes back to his audience, to those who know Christ, but you are a chosen race, a chosen race chosen by God. Again, not predestination. He's talking to people who, of their free will, believed. Became a child of God. Once God convicted their heart and they became His, Peter reminds them, you are a chosen race. People from all places, all times, all cultures have become a single nation. Isn't that going to be... Doesn't it just almost boggle your mind to think about what heaven's going to be like? All people from all over and all times. You know, we're going to be there with people who don't have, in their lives, didn't have the foggiest notion of a cell phone. But it's going to be so unimportant. We won't even mention it, I don't think. It's going to be Christ, Christ, Christ. How he was with us in our lives. How he carried us through How he is worthy, how the Lamb of God is worthy to receive praise and honor. People all over, both place and time. We're a royal priesthood, he says. A holy nation, a people for his own possession. We are possessed by God. We're held by him. God does not rid himself of what is his keeps it, preserves it, holds it, and will carry it to himself and bring it To himself, as the one man has said, and I don't remember who it was. Jesus comes back. He's going to look around and point and say, mine, 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 mine. And all that is his, that he is going to claim as his own. He's going to bring to himself and take it with him to his eternal heaven in in, in richness of glory that is beyond human expression. And all those things that did not get his pointing finger Will be sentenced to an eternal destruction in a hell not created for man, but for the devil and his angels. Is Jesus going to look at you and say, Mine? Is he going to look at your friends, your neighbors, your co workers? Are they settled upon the rock of Christ, the cornerstone? We are people of the light. We see. We've been taken out of darkness. We've been pulled out of that. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we've been taken out of the darkness of sin and the darkness of this world, and we now see what the world doesn't. Live like you do. Think like you do. Be a person in the light. Don't return to the practices of sin and darkness. We were once not a people. We are a people now. We were once not recipients of mercy, but we are now recipients of mercy. Mercy and grace. Mercy specifically called here, which is the receiving of things or is not receiving punishment that was justly due. I pray that the Lord would help us to keep these things in mind as we go through our lives. Our brief journey through this land of the living. Scripture refers to this place just a few times, this land of the living. And sometimes it's thought, well, that's heaven, and it's not. The scriptures, when it says land of the living, it's referring to here and now. In this land as we live, on this side of this eternity that is coming, Let's keep these things in mind. Let's set these things aside that ought not be there. Let's fill our hearts with things that should. Let's set our life on the chief cornerstone of God. Let's understand the world is all mixed up because they haven't. And let's understand whose we are, what we are, and who we are as we go through it. And may God help us each day to learn a little bit more about what all of that means. Just a little bit more. You take one step, one day at a time, You'll find yourself advanced, not you'll you'll find yourself that you've you've traveled some distance and not too long at all, but if you wake up and you don't take a step, you get behind you get caught up in the world, and the world has plenty of distraction. I pray that something's been said of being helped to you if you ha- if the Lord's working on your heart, I would encourage you to pray we'll pray with you, do whatever we can, but it's going to be between you and the Lord we pray that the Lord will accomplish the work that he has in our hearts today and that we would obey him and not quench his spirit so so